Welcome to Double Take, where we explore the art and science of making good decisions. I'm Matt. And I'm Angel. Matt, I've got a bit of a debate I want you to weigh in on. So last time my partner and I were trying to decide who should do which chores. Ooh, I'll put on my counselor's hat. This sounds sounds spicy. I think you know me well enough by now. You can probably guess. (laughs) She feels like I don't do enough chores. And I, I feel like the chores don't need doing. Like, for, for example, I'm, I'm a just-in-time kind of guy. Like, I'll do the dishes once the sink is full, not after every meal. Yeah, doesn't that commit you, though, to being, like, perpetually in a messy kitchen? Like, I can see how that can be contentious if the dishes slowly pile up over two or three days. That means your sink is always sort of, like, partially full of messy food and messy dishes, doesn't it? How, how uh, did you, how did you resolve days. this one? No, no, it's... it's just within the same day. It's like, do you do you do them at the end of the day or do you do every meal through one day? But oh, I mean, I, I basically bit the bullet and decided to agree to disagree, I guess. But doing that got me thinking, like, does it actually make sense to do this? Am I, am I kind of sacrificing some kind of objective truth by doing this or is it like a real answer here? Oh, interesting. Well, I, I don't know if this will work with your partner, but I actually think that there is, as always, a mathematical theorem relating to this. I think it's called Armin's theorem. And it actually proved that, at least in principle, in a specific game theoretic sense, that two rational people should never agree to disagree. <laughs> I think you've got a theorem for everything. I, I don't know if that one's going to fly with her, but, but tell me more. Yeah, well, it's it's a little bit complex, but it basically says that if two people have all the same background beliefs and the same information about a particular decision, then rationally they should come to the same conclusion. And so if there is disagreement, then either they need to examine their beliefs or information rather than just agreeing to disagree. At least that's that's the theory of, of it. Mm. Yeah, makes sense in theory. <laughs> I don't know if I'll try it at home. But it, like, it also just reminded me of, I guess, an opposite of ex- example. So, for example, when I was at Amazon, there was a, a leadership principle or a value called disagree and commit. And we basically used it to solve a lack of consensus in groups, but to do it in a way that avoided people sabotaging the project if they felt like they weren't heard or things didn't go their way. Yeah, I've, I've used that principle in my work too. I do, however, find it's it's often easy to say, but pretty hard to do. And to be honest, I haven't actually seen it applied all that much in practice. Did you did you actually use it at Amazon? Do you have examples of it being used? Yeah, yeah, it was actually super commonly used where, I mean, there's an example I remember from one of the recent shareholder letters that Jeff used mm-hmm. to write. Uh, I think they greenlit a particular Amazon Studios, you know, their, their Netflix equivalent production. And from what I remember, Jeff was opposed to this show with this movie being run he was like I, I don't know if it's a great idea i don't know if the audience is going to love it but the team at amazon studios were really pushing for it and so in that case jeff decided to disagree and commit he said okay i'm going to trust you guys you guys you know you're in the weeds you work on this every day i'm going to trust your judgment here i hope this is going to be you know the best show or movie we ever invest in even if i don't really believe it myself right now yeah, okay. It makes sense. I, I mean, I agree it's important to be able to move quickly. I've, I've definitely seen in consulting world, very dysfunctional boards who end up just arguing all day, going around in circles, and no one ever commits to any decision. And certainly that's, yeah, that's not a, that's not a sustainable way to operate. And I think it, 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 will end up, it, it is what ends up killing a lot of big companies 
But on the other hand, I, I feel sometimes you're just a paid to be you're paid to be assertive, right? Like if you disagree about a particular direction of the team, isn't it your job then to really champion what you think is the right thing to do and stop the team from taking the wrong course of action? In, in the Amazon case, isn't disagreeing and committing just like an easy way to avoid maybe some difficult conversations, for example? Yeah, it's a good point. I think the the nuance here is actually one one important thing which I forgot from that is the entire leadership principle is actually have backbone, semicolon, disagree and commit. Uh, uh, and so they've actually paired two somewhat opposing forces together in that principle where they say have backbone. You know, if you disagree with something, stand up and voice your opinion and make sure that you know, you're not just following the crowd. But then two, uh, if the team arrives at some kind of consensus and everyone thinks, you know, given the data we've got, this is the best path forward, just disagree and commit. You know, go along with it. Don't Definitely don't sabotage it, which is the worst thing that could happen if, you know, people mm. get caught up, you know, basically in some kind of status game or trying to protect their ego, saying, like, you know, this this will never work and they're, they're never wholeheartedly committed to the initiative. But at the same time, you know, if you if you do disagree, stand up and say it and maybe you'll manage to sway part of the room. Yeah, that makes sense. It feels like then at least you're forcing yourself to actually go through the process of having the hard conversations, think through all the options and then make an informed decision rather than, oh, I don't feel like doing the work or having these hard conversations. Let's just agree and com- just disagree and commit and I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you do. I'm sure there's actually interesting empirical data on how these this sort of way of operating leads to decision-making, whether those are good decisions. I'd be super interested to know in this case of Amazon, what was the outcome in the end? Do you know? I mean, I don't know if there's a single outcome. I, I definitely don't know what happened with that particular Amazon Studios production, but I, I can say what it does overall is it just lets everyone move quicker. Because actually, mm. the vast majority of the time, you're debating what is probably a relatively low stakes or medium stakes decision. And so it probably doesn't matter too much which way people are arguing if you're moving forward quickly and if you can learn from that and iterate. Because if you did pick the wrong choice or the group picked the wrong choice, you're going to get feedback very quickly and then everyone's going to say, okay, let's go back to that other guy's idea. So I think the vast majority of the time, if you're just able to move, gather more information and unlock like a path to a better decision, maybe one you never even considered before, that's a win. Yeah, I, I think I think that's right. I think for at least from what I've seen, companies are killed more often by not committing to things and not unifying as a team versus making the wrong decisions because you can always pivot. So that's that's probably right. I, I buy that. I'm interested to know if this. So you you actually started not with an Amazon example, but with a, an example of you doing the dishes with your with your partner. Do you have any other examples from your everyday life where where this is salient right now? I mean, I've got some relatives from overseas at the moment, and mm-hmm. so for example, the the other night the kids were trying to pick a board game to play, and I don't know wide-ish age range, you know, twelve to twenty, let's say, mm-hmm. um, and it was, it was somewhat interesting to watch them debate the difference between the board games, because essentially all it boiled down to was, in air quotes, people thinking that their idea was better, right? They, they almost a kind of values-based decision of like, I just feel like doing this, but I'm going to try and find mm. a way to rationalize it, not in a very good way because I'm 12. But it's another example, and 
I mean, how do you resolve a disagreement like that? Like if some, if two people genuinely feel like playing different games, is there a way to get around that? Yeah, and it's actually no different from the case of like an executive team or a board discussing strategic decisions. It, <laughs> sometimes I actually think the kids get to a better, <laughs> a better solution. Then it's actually also, I, I'm also sort of confronted with a decision like this in my personal life. My fiance and I are deciding where we should go on honeymoon. And she wants to go somewhere very well known, you know, go get some nice photographs. I want to go somewhere off the beaten track. And this one is, this is relevant for me. So potentially I'll learn something in this conversation. So maybe let's think through if there's a general framework that applies to all of these cases, because we've got kids playing board games, we've got household chores, we've got executive teams making decisions and my honeymoon. <laughs> do, you, do, you think there's a, do you think there's a sort of natural breakdown of this question that can inform all of these? I mean, if I were to think about this from first principles, I'd say there's probably two main components that you can break most disagreements down into. Mm -hmm. The first one is what did each individual party value? And when I say value, you know, people value different things in a decision and that is going to inform what their goals are and what they're going to push for. So if the kids are debating board games, ultimately what they value is, you know, in quotes, what they feel like or what they enjoy the most. And it's very hard to change what people value. It's somewhat inherent and, you know, might change over a long period of time. But at the point of making an actual decision, it's generally unlikely you're going to change that. The second one's a lot easier to work with. And I think it's the information that people have. So mm -hmm. if two people have similar values, let's say, you know, you and your fiance both value finding a place with good photo opportunities then in theory, you've got similar goals. And so if you still disagree, then you're actually disagreeing about the information you have, like what the actual options are, how risky they are, how beneficial each option might be. A concrete example might be, I don't know if you both disagree on whether or not Fiji contains good photo opportunities. And that could potentially come down to, you know, you've each just had different people on your Instagram feed showing you one set of terrible photos versus one set of great photos. And so if there's an information misalignment, it's a lot easier to say, okay, you know, we, we have the same values, we have the same goals. How do we go out and gather the information that we need to come to an alignment on the best solution for our problem? And then obviously three, mm. you could disagree on both values and information, in which case you know, it's a far harder to overcome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think, I think directionally that's, that's right. And probably in sort of 80% of the cases it will lead very quickly to a better argument than something with no structure at all. I do think that there's some issues that, that come to mind as you were talking through there. The first one that jumps out is that I do think that sometimes people do just have different values and you can identify them, you can talk about them, and it's not going to change that. So in the example of the board games, you know, your relative visiting, it might turn out that one kid just loves Monopoly for whatever reason and the other just loves chess. And that's just that. And they can identify that. One can say, well, I like Monopoly. And the other one can say, well, I like chess. And, you know, all very well and good, but that doesn't help you get to a better decision. So what happens in that case? You identify, you've got sort of mutually incompatible values, and then what? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I think what it does is, and what people typically do before they've identified that, okay, you love chess, I love Monopoly. But what's probably happening before they identify that is 
they're not actually debating the real issue or they haven't identified the real mm. issue of, you know, we have a misalignment of values. Instead, what they're doing is they're trying to debate the virtues of chess and monopoly and why <laughs> one is better than the other. And that's a very deep rabbit hole. And you can spend hours doing that while totally missing the point, which is that, hey, actually our values and our goals are just misaligned. And maybe we should, you know, have a conversation around that instead of, you know, deep down the board game review website and saying, ah, chess is a 4.8 <laughs> and Monopoly is a 4.5. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th I think that's right. And actually, it reminds me again, back in the business world, you see this all the time where businesses start talking tactics before laying out objectives and strategy. And so people are saying, should we do this or should we do this? Like, you know, sh should we invest more in marketing in this particular city? without taking a step back and saying, well, what is the overall objective and getting alignment at that level? And so I think that, I think it works at least, at least you're speaking the same language and you're not having like a, an accidental language disagreement versus a real objective agreement about the objective facts. So I, th I think that makes sense. A second issue that comes to mind again, and I think the board game example is good here as well, is the case of hidden agendas or to be frank, just downright dishonesty. So <laughs> In the example of the board game, I can imagine the kids say, okay, well, let's let's make this uh, like a, a democratic decision. Let's let's all put down scores of how much we prefer each game and let's take an average and whatever's got the highest average will win. And so on the surface, this sounds great, right? You're, you're averaging values across the group. But if one of the kids understands, oh, well, I can just be a little bit dishonest here. And even though I like chess at a six out of 10, I'm going to put a zero out of 10 and I'm going to put a 10 out of 10 for Monopoly because that'll skew the average. And so everyone could do this. You know, you could think you're being objective about the values, but then you actually get the wrong answer because some person was being dishonest and putting a fake score for their chess. So how, how, do you, how do you avoid situations like that where, you know, you've decided to talk about values, but one of the, one of the parties is just dishonest and is not, is not being truthful about what the actual value is? It's a fairly contrived example, but I think what <laughs> I think true. what's actually like a little bit of a tangent there. I think what's actually more interesting is when you talk about dishonesty. I think a lot of the time people are actually also dishonest with themselves about the rationalization for how they value something. That's um, true. If, if we go back to a business case and two people are debating something, you've got all these underlying factors like, you know, I just want to be right could be an ego thing, a status thing. Maybe people won't respect me if I go with the other person's idea. But ultimately, what's going to happen in the room a lot of the time is that person is going to try to defend their point of view with logic and reason and why their argument or their way or their approach is better objectively than the other person's, even though there are all these underlying confounding factors getting them to come up with that rationalization. And so you know, if we, if we go back to your example about the, I guess, deliberately dishonest kid, I don't know if the right solution to the values problem is getting people to quantify their values. Cause you know, one, a lot of the people, a lot of the time people struggle to identify what they value at all. And I'm not sure you know, getting them to try and put a number on it is going to necessarily help the argument much or at all because at the end of the day if you like chess and i like monopoly and you don't like monopoly <laughs> and i don't love chess then we're we're at a bit of an impasse right yeah i guess i guess that makes sense and and again as you were talking about like you know even self-dishonesty or the difficulty of of really even knowing what strikes me is 
that that problem is there whether or not you use the framework. So if you're if you're arguing in circles and it is a language game, the problem is only made worse by your self dishonesty or lack of self knowledge. And I don't think the the fact that there is this exception in play um, means the framework is broken. I think that exception is there all, in all cases anyway. So yeah, you're probably right. It probably still is better to be clear and and have this breakdown in terms of values and information <laughs> whether whether or not in every case you can you can get to a very clear honest answer that, that that's that's values but then on the information one it's actually another theorem that comes to mind here or a result from maths and this one is from probability theory I actually have the textbook here on my shelf it's a it's a pretty counterintuitive result actually there's a theorem that people find very surprising when they first learn it and they almost almost don't believe it, but it's it's quite clear. It's a theorem that says that if people have certain background beliefs in place that differ, then no matter how much of the same information you present them with, their their views don't necessarily converge. They can actually diverge. And many people find this very counterintuitive. But as as a simple example, suppose that you have one person who's very left leaning politically and and distrusts everything that is said on Fox News. And one person is very right-leaning and therefore inherently trusts everything that is said on Fox News. And you want to show them information and they're both getting the same information, the same news feed, Fox News, talking about some particular issue. Let's say talking about Donald Trump, for example. It'll be the same information. They're seeing the same person say the same things on Fox News. But because of their background beliefs, the left-leaning person distrusts everything that's said. And they just see it as more reason not to believe these things. And the right-leaning person trusts everything that is said in Fox News, and they see it as a reinforcement. And so the more information that they get that's the same, the more their views actually diverge. And I wonder, in this case of you know examining background information, making sure you have the same background information, you could end up shooting yourself in the foot and actually diverging because you've got these different sort of hidden background beliefs to about that information. That's very interesting, but it, it makes sense when you say it. It's yeah, basically a reinforcing feedback loop, confirmation bias, mm-hmm. right? Which we're which we're all somewhat familiar with. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, I would almost put that background belief bucket into mm-hmm. the values category, right? If we go back to the framework, you've got you can either disagree on values or information, and to some extent, values is just the bucket of emotional things that pulls you in a certain direction. At least Mm -hmm. that's what I think is a practical enough definition for the context we've got here, which is when two people disagree about a decision. And so if values is the set of emotional things pulling you in a particular direction and information is, I guess, the super concrete, tangible stuff that Mm -hmm. you are willing to accept that will, you know, help you adjust your belief, then if we draw that you know, not super well-defined line, but enough to you know, mm-hmm. help us talk around this problem. I would say, you know, everything that falls in the confirmation bias bucket is probably really like more of a values thing and subconscious and getting people to align on that first is probably the way to go. Yeah. So so you're, you're saying then if if you notice that the same information is actually leading to divergent views... Like that is something noticeable, right? You you can ask, what does this information make you feel? Does it reinforce or weaken your position and vice versa? And it, and if the things are pointing in the opposite direction, then you're saying, well, that indicates that there is probably some sort of values difference in how that information is being interpreted. Dig into that. Is that right? 
Yeah, I mean, let, let's try it with a with a concrete example. So yeah, we go back to the it. person. Yeah, we, we go back to your Fox News person. Let's say I'm a Trump supporter and you are, you know, you're, you're in the blue, you're, you're supporting who was on the other side for Trump. I don't even remember, but <laughs> yeah, um, well, in, in, most, most recently Biden, but yeah. 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 So you're Biden, I'm Trump, and we're watching this Fox News media. Hmm. Ultimately, like where we're misaligned in values, like if we actually take those two concrete examples of people, there's like social pressure, there's you know, where I live, there's potentially some deep-seated beliefs around certain policies, there's like a sense of tribe, identity. The, the debate we're having is probably not about an objective truth that can be swayed by information at all, mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, this is really just me trying to reinforce my beliefs and you know, stay a part of my tribe. And I think in that case, there are some situations where it doesn't make sense to even have the debate or try to get to a shared agreement on a particular topic. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, so in that case, then the framework becomes useful in stopping the conversation early, I guess you, you, yeah. you identify that you're, you're disagreeing on some really deeply held fundamental belief or value. And you can say then, okay, is it worth digging into this particular point or can we agree to disagree rather than talking about surface level things for, for 10 hours? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. Okay. I think it's good. I mean, I've got a few other sort of challenges to this framework, but I think as with all very powerful frameworks, there are going to be exceptions and I think it's fine. Instead of going down all the different rabbit holes, I think this is a very, very good 80-20 starting point. It's certainly better than what I see most of the time, which is neither of these things done and people just argue in circles or just move on before really digging into anything. So, so let's, let's maybe give this framework a proper test drive. What's a what's an example of where people disagree on the first issue, which is a which the values issue? All right. Well, I mean, let, let's try to come up with a scenario. Let's let's role play yeah. an actual disagreement. Cool. Stuart. Well, one actually that I encountered last night is is good. So deciding on a restaurant where to eat that that happens all the time. I eat that. I'm a big foodie. I eat that all the time. I'm always talking with friends and partner. For example, where to eat. So suppose I think that the new Thai place down the road is is really good and, and we should go there. And maybe you disagree. How about that? Yeah, perfect. So cool. you want to go to the new Thai place down the road. But I actually think there's a new Italian place that I heard about that we should try instead. And it, mm -hmm. also it has a bigger menu. Okay. But the Italian place is super expensive and the Thai is much better value for money. We eat a lot. They give you big portions. So Thai is better, Thai is better value for money. That is true. You, you do eat a lot. But we, <laughs> yeah. we always go to the Thai place. Like, don't you want to try somewhere new? But the Thai place is just down the road in the, on, on the corner. And the Italian place, we have to hop in the car, drive. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, bit of a, a bit of a hassle. <laughs> okay, so this is this is perfect, right? Like we're disagreeing on values here, right? Yeah, for sure. We're we're talking about a bunch of different things, throwing <laughs> pretty much th throwing throwing a new thing out into the wind every time. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you're after something low risk, you know, somewhere we we go often, 
somewhere that's reliable, but good, but nearby, the Thai place. And me, I'm after somewhere new, novel, and with, with a big menu. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that could be true, but this takes me back to the board game example. So one person likes Monopoly, one person likes chess. How does that aid to <laughs> the resolution? We just want different things, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think the thing about disagreeing on values is it's really hard to change what someone values quickly. Yep. And, you know, oftentimes people will end up with debates, either trying to prove that their thing is objectively right when they disagree on values, or they'll try to change what the other person values through some kind of rational argument, which it's mm -hmm. just not going to happen. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, I think that's true. But again, how does it lead to the resolution here? Are, are we saying that we should just recognize we value different things and then disagree about it and, and make a call, go to different restaurants? What are we saying? Yeah, to, to some extent, I think, I think there's a way to salvage it, but you have to mm -hmm. then dig into the question of like, how do our values differ? So yeah. for example, you know, you, you cared about a bunch of things in the restaurant, you know, low risk. We've been there before. It's reliable. It's good. It's nearby. And I, I care about different things, novel, mm -hmm. big menu. The issue is we're both trying to solve for like many variables at once, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and maybe we're likely to find some overlap in our values and therefore an alignment in goals if we narrow it yeah. down to maybe just the top one or two things which we care about. So for example, let's yeah. say I like the number one thing I really care about right now is just trying somewhere new, right? I, I just really don't want to go back to that Thai place. And for you, it might yeah. just be you just feel like Thai food, right? Despite all the other 100%. things you said. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Cool. So, And then if we can just isolate the one or two important variables, then maybe we just find a Thai place we've never been to before. Yeah, right. Okay. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. So in, th in this case, the disagreement, we thought it was about whether we wanted Thai food or Italian food or we were assessing two different restaurants. But what was actually happening wasn't a difference. Or at least those weren't the right values. It was more like a category issue. I wanted Thai food specifically and you wanted novelty. And we thought that those things were mutually incompatible, compatible, but in fact, that they weren't. And we were just not talking about the, the right things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we, we confounded and confused the entire conversation by throwing in all these other variables while trying to justify, you know, a subconscious urge to go in a particular direction. Yeah. I mean, I think that probably that, that, that will work in a lot of cases. I would love to think about whether that applies to your kitchen example or the dishes example. If, for example, this is just making it up, but perhaps you want to minimize the amount of time spent on dishes and your partner wants to minimize the amount of time spent with the dirty kitchen, then maybe there is a happy medium there. I don't know. Maybe get a dishwasher. I, I, I don't know what it is, but <laughs> it could, it, maybe you can take this one back home. Yeah. I mean, you, you, know, you know me well. I'm all about time optimization, so... You know what, yeah, you know the, what would the, work? The yeah? You just, if you just got her to clean the dishes. Kitchen would be clean all the time. You wouldn't have to do anything. That's <laughs> <laughs> a pair. Uh, I, think, I think there's a values misalignment somewhere in there. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But, but I, think, I think that's true. I think that example works. I, I do wonder then what happens in the case where you go through the exercise and you identify actually there is no overlap in values and you are fundamentally misaligned. You know, maybe it's the same value that you're arguing about and you just want different things 
or maybe it's different values, but there's nothing in the option set that, that has them overlapping. So for example, if there was no new Thai place, if I'd been to all the Thai restaurants, I can't get Thai food and give you something new. So what, what, what does one do in that case? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think the way to step through this is you essentially first identify that it's a values misalignment. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. What do we genuinely value? Like what's the top one or two priorities here that we you know, feel are internal values that you know, we, we can't really change or compromise on? And then if we take that set, constrain it down to the one or two things we really care about, can we generate mm-hmm. any more options that happen to, happen to work for everyone? And like you said, if, if there's nothing in there, then maybe you just have to abandon the decision with the other person. Like a, a concrete example might be if two people are deciding to get married and you both fundamentally disagree on whether or not you want kids, it's a bit of a deal breaker, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a big one. But I guess uh, going through the exercise again, it might not always be. I guess you can identify whether it's a deal breaker. So for example, you've spoken to someone, they say they don't want to have kids, you say you do. You could maybe then go one layer deeper and maybe that's just that's just it and there's an impasse like for example they could stop there but potentially what's really being optimized for is you know one of one of you is concerned financially and you don't want to spend the the money it takes to raise a kid and the other one actually doesn't worry too much about that but is concerned about the amount of time that they that they want to spend or the amount of freedom and potentially identifying that leads to some sort of middle path I don't know in this case what it will be but uh, <laughs> Maybe one yeah, of them maybe. just says, well, let's split finances differently and, and get a nanny and, and then we can both be happy. Yeah. Or you, or you get a dog, which I might sound <laughs> funny, but I think is a re- very real solution for a lot of people these days. Yeah. I've, I've tried that solution and it did not work out, but that's a, a story for another day. <laughs> a, a simple solution that I have tried actually that did work out is buying a secondhand car. And I think many people have encountered this example a lot where you it's not even a car, just any sales relationship where you're talking to a salesperson and your limit is, or as a buyer is lower than their limit as a seller. And you kind of feel like you come to an impasse that they won't go any lower, you won't go any higher. And so, you know, it comes to, it comes to a point where you kind of feel like you have to walk away from the deal. And many people, many people walk away at that point. Yeah. I mean, it's a really concrete, tangible example of where, I don't know, you, you, won't spend more than five grand on the car and the salesperson won't go lower than six. And yep. super concrete example to see that, you know, you, your values and your goals just don't overlap. Yep. Um, and then you're left with two options, right? One, we part ways and, you know, we, we say there's no deal here. Or if the car person's a really good salesperson, maybe he'll identify more options. Maybe the budget constraint is actually set by your partner, not by you. And if he can somehow (laughs) get that constraint removed then you're free to spend however much you want on a car yeah and i think the the best salesperson people do tend to to work that magic i actually think there's a third one or maybe it's related to what you said at the end there but you could also probably look for compensatory variables so we've been talking about specific decisions relating to specific values but in a relationship, you often have multiple things that you care about and you're making multiple decisions. You can kind of aggregate and mix and match. So in the sales relationship, you know, you're talking about the purchase of one particular car and you're, you've got values as it relates to that thing. But there could be additional variables. So for example, the car salesman might as a whole need to hit a particular quota within a month. Um, and that, that relates to selling a certain amount of volume throughout the month and getting cash in the door quickly enough. 
And there could be other things. So for example, you don't flex too much on the price, but you agree to pay upfront in cash. And that that meets the, the additional value that he's not even mentioned. It's not been part of the conversation, but it actually turns out to move the needle in in this case. So yeah, I, th- I, th- I, think that's, I think that's right. Figure out the values, figure out where they differ, and then you know you either find overlap or you agree that there's an impasse or you could potentially figure out some additional un- yet unconsidered values that you come in and compensate for what's there. Feels like it covers uh, covers all bases. <laughs> yeah, I think the the one line of punchline here is first deeply understand what you value. Like, what are all the little subconscious things trying to get me to make this decision a particular way, and mm-hmm. then try to do the same for the other person, and then look for an overlap between them. Yeah, yeah, cool. That's a that's a nice little that's a nice little summary. So, look for where there's disagreement in values, and then you can do a few things that could be helpful. That category error. The the um, other variables that could balance the deal, or even just recognizing that you're not going to balance the deal and move on and not waste time uh, talking in circles. That that values dimension works really well. What about the what about the other one? So we first said values. The second thing we said was where there's a difference in information. That's often often the cause of disagreement. What's a, what's a good example for this one? I mean, let, let's go back to the restaurant again. So. Yep. You feel like eating Thai. I want to try somewhere new. We've we've come to the conclusion that there might be a new Thai place nearby. In fact, we've found several new Thai places nearby. Now we have to decide which new Thai place to go to. But at the very least, our goals and our values are aligned. We're going to a new Thai place. So, you know, I I find a few options online. One of them has a 4.2 star Google rating. Should we go there? (laughs) Well, I think we both know that Google ratings are often gamed and... (laughs) I, I don't personally trust Google ratings all that much anymore. I think they're more reliable sources. So suppose I then said 4.5 Google rating isn't very good, but I don't know, 4.2 on Zomato is is a good rating. And when I look at that, it doesn't match the Google rating. So I, I disagree, and I think we should be using the Zomato rankings. Cool. So we're disagreeing about information. You think data on Google is not reliable. I think it's good enough. But all right, you you want to check out Zomato. So I guess we need to try and find a new Thai place with a Zomato rating greater than or equal to 4.2. Or I find a way to convince you that maybe Google actually is reliable. How does that sound? Yeah, it, it sounds good. So how would you convince me that Google is reliable? Because what I can see, the risk in the first case, is that we just end up every single time we encounter a decision, we have to first agree on all the data sources, and then we have to go do the full search on all the data sources. And it could take a long time. Whereas in one sentence, if you could convince me, hey, don't worry, this, this 4.5 rating on Google is, is good enough, then we could immediately go for that decision. So how, how, would you, how would you do that? I mean, my guess is you're anchored on Google isn't very good because maybe you've had one or a few bad experiences at 4.2 or similar rated Google places in the past. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I could find some place that I already know you love and show you, hey, this is actually a 3.8. Did you know that? And maybe that'll shift how you perceive Google ratings in the future. Yeah, okay. Okay. I think I think actually in the case of, you know, this particular case of Google ratings, that could actually work because that is exactly what is what has happened. Suppose that weren't the case, you didn't know that, then I guess it could be pretty cumbersome to try and convince me to sort of buy into your data source and you know, I don't know. Perhaps you went on like an online forum that did a meta review of all the all the different food ranking sources, 
to then convince me, okay, Google is actually the best one. Again, that, that would be like a, a fairly cumbersome task. Is there, do you think there's a faster way to get to a resolution here in the case of disagreement on information? I mean, there's also the variable of how much information we both need to feel to be comfortable. I mean, to, to go back to the initial point, at the very least, we're not arguing about values here, right? Like we're all on the same page about we're just trying to pick between the handful of new Thai places we've got nearby. And so, you know, there, there's definitely a path forward. We've got several options. There's no deal breakers here. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, picking picking the actual one to go to. And, you know, maybe one of us can compromise a little bit on the information. Maybe we're willing to take some risk on the level of confidence we have in it. It probably also depends on how high risk or how high stakes this actual decision is versus mm-hmm. the level of depth of analysis and research we want to go do. I don't know. Let's say you've got a, you know, you've got a friend who was in a car accident and the, the surgeon comes out and gives you two options. And he's like, you know, here are the pros and cons between each. Then mm. in that scenario, you would probably want to be far more detailed in your research and your analysis versus the, you know, do I go to type place A or type place B? And so I think there's probably like a fairly clear, not go overboard with your analysis kind of path in this decision. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I think that's right. And it actually connects this issue a little bit with a third issue that I mentioned about the framework earlier on, which is when you have the same information and that actually could lead to divergence of views rather than convergence. In the in this again, in the silly Thai restaurant Google example, imagine I for some reason, gosh, I, I'm full of contrived examples today. <laughs> for some reason that I, I inherently distrusted Google reviews for restaurants. So, for example, I thought restaurants with tons of five star reviews are obviously just spending a lot on marketing and driving up reviews rather than what really matters, like service and food quality. And so, I inherently distrust when a restaurant has thousands of five star reviews. I assume, look, these guys are, are better at marketing than they are at food. And you have the natural background belief that's the exact opposite. You think the only way to get those reviews is to be great. And so we, we both see a restaurant with phenomenal reviews. And for me, that reinforces my belief that these guys are spending all their money on marketing and not on great food and service. And for you, it reinforces the view that they are likely to be a great restaurant. And so we, we're presenting each other with the same information and then diverging based on that fact what do, what do we do what do we do here this one's really interesting it's it's almost a values misalignment on the type of information we both trust yeah it's uh, true so <laughs> so it's getting very meta then this actually isn't a contrived example i've got a i've got a friend who's a bit of a tinfoil hat wearer who will genuinely believe that more google reviews tells me better marketing and potentially <laughs> worse food quality like a, an example might be maybe we both trust independent anecdotal reviews. We happen to mm-hmm. have a neighbor who lives in the area, tries a lot of restaurants, and we just ring them up and see what they recommend. And maybe yeah. we're both on board with trusting that kind of information. But it's a really good point because it again hints at the pattern of we need to identify that there's some kind of values misalignment here, in this case, in the nature of the information we trust. And so we have to hunt again for kind of overlap in our option set, this time not in, not an option set of, you know, which restaurants can we go to, but an option set of what types of information do we consider to be valid? 
Yeah, I think I think that's actually spot on. And if again, if I step back to where we started this conversation, we were just throwing pros and cons back and forth and getting nowhere. And now we're having a much more, probably a waste of time, but definitely a nuanced conversation on something that's actually the relevant factor here, which is, you know, do we do we or do we not trust, or what what trust do we place in the review? So I think even though we've not gotten to an answer doing so, I think we've gotten to a point where the conversation is definitely pointing at the right things versus versus just throwing back and forth, you know, random pros and cons. So I think it's good. I think this framework is good. If if I were to like pull up a little bit and pull it together, I think both of us in our own lives and and when looking at the world, we've noticed that people have a tendency to either very, very quickly agree to disagree without really having a good conversation on the one hand, or on the other hand, just arguing in circles about with about a decision without coming to a clear resolution at all. And so we've we've explored this framework of breaking those cases down into two factors. What are the values and what is the information being used to make that decision? And I think for each of these cases, these examples that we've gone through have actually been pretty enlightening because either the examples have been amenable to this analysis or they've been exceptions, but exceptions that would have been treated in an even worse way without the framework, right? There's still more clarity added by using this framework. So I think... I think it actually really works well. I'd be keen to understand then where these situations arise in everyday life and how one can quickly identify them before getting stuck into one of these circular arguments. Because what I expect to happen is I'll say, oh yeah, this all makes sense. As with every theoretical framework I, I learn about. And then two weeks later, I'll find myself kicking myself for not having used it five or six times in a particular week. So what are your thoughts here? How, how does... Well, firstly, how often do you encounter situations like this in in your life? I reckon if you're interacting with humans day to day, which Mm -hmm. is probably most people, whether it's at work, it's at home, it's like out of the shops, Mm -hmm. you're probably going to spend a lot of your time trying to align on decisions with them. And in some cases, those are constrained decisions that you, you don't even realize that you know, you're, you're aligning on something. If you go to a, if you go to a shop here, there's a price on bananas. And in some sense, there's only one option there. You can either take the deal or leave it. Mm. But, you know, if we go back to the car salesman analogy, then, you know, there is a price there, but there's a bit more room to negotiate and chat about how much you're going to end up paying versus, you know, with your partner at home, with your kids, with people at work is probably one of the biggest ones. So I think Mm. it's, super super common yeah i I think i think that's right i mean certainly it happens in my life all of the time both in personal life and in work and i would guess that's the same for most people i I mean i wouldn't be surprised if people are facing this decision several times every single day whether it's convincing your toddler to eat dinner or colleagues to commit to some deadline or negotiating a better deal on your your rent i think this is everywhere so I think having having a framework with which to approach it is no doubt going to be useful to most people, I would say. Yeah. And I think the, you're right, it's a, probably a fairly hard habit to train, but I think mm-hmm. the trigger is, or the, the question to ask yourself is what are we actually disagreeing about, right? Like if you ever catch yourself and usually it's in the circular argument context where you find yourself, you know, debating some point of view for longer than a few minutes. 
at some point in there, when you, when you ask yourself, like, what are we doing here and what's going on? If you are to take a step back and just question, like, what do I value here? Or like, what are we actually disagreeing about? Is it the things we're talking about? Or have we even clarified what, you know, core goals and values of each person are? I think that's probably enough to get you to start having the right conversation. Yeah, I, I agree. I've, as we've been talking, this honeymoon question has just been bouncing around in my head and <laughs> all these ideas about the values and information with which I'm going to speak to my fiance about where we go on a honeymoon. So I'm actually quite keen to go take this for a test drive on the, on the actual roads. I think, I think I might be able to convince her to, I don't know, join me in India or something. <laughs> good. Good luck with that one. Yeah. Thank you. I'll, I'll let you know how it goes.